There are widespread disagreements that exist in the church today uh, over various kinds of practices. A Christian from the South may be repelled by swimming, by a swimming party for both men and women. Uh, then offend his northern brother by lighting up a cigarette. At an international conclave for missionaries, a woman from the Orient could not wear sandals with a clear conscience. A Christian from Western Canada thought it worldly for a Christian acquaintance to wear a wedding ring. And a woman from Europe thought it was almost immoral for a wife not to wear a ring that signaled her status. A man from Denmark was pained to even watch British Bible school students play football while the British students shrank back from his pipe smoking. The world of Christianity is a wide and diverse place and the mantra, and that is not even to mention some of the other uh, ideas that some scholars point out, uh, how we think about so many other things in our world. The mantra for many Christians seems to be this, believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right, no one and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. So today we're going to look at how in this world of diversity of practices and opinions and convictions, we're to live in a unified state as a church. And uh, as we look at Romans chapter 14. You can take your Bibles and turn to the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, if you haven't already. We're going to be working through most of this passage today. I'm not going to read it for its length, but uh, that's where we're going to be working on. Um, you know, Christianity has welded together an incredibly diverse group of people. As I've said repeatedly, what I think is one of the church's most amazing cultural dynamics, one of the things that, that was just... Uh, impossible for society to ignore was the diversity of the first century church. All these, these people that would have hated each other as they come to Christ are now loving with each other. They're looking out for one another. They're having each other in their houses. They're, they're caring for one another. And, and so these, um, these very diverse groups come together. And that's one of the great things about the church. It's simultaneously one of the most difficult things or one of the most difficult hurdles that the first century church faced. Um, much of the New Testament is, is written encouraging the church to maintain the unity that they started with and, and addressing the issues they had. In our day, today we're going to read about eating vegetables or not eating vegetables. We're going to talk about what day people worshipped on. Those are the examples that they're, they're using in this passage and, and we may not argue so much about food, but there's plenty of other things we still do argue about, right? Can you dance or can you not dance? What about playing cards? What about political parties? What about the way we dress or don't dress? Or, or what entertainment you listen to? What music you listen to? What, what uh, 
motion picture rating is not Christian and which motion picture ratings are Christian. You know, can you ever again watch a Disney movie in the rest of your life or not? I mean, we have all kinds of things that we will be all over the map about and strongly for and strongly against all over the place. And we'll argue about seeing them in the same things. And so this passage today is what we're going to be talking about. And we understand this is the last lesson in chapter 5 in unity. Um, and, uh, and, and we've got to understand that unity does not come easy, right? We will never be unified just by happenstance. It's something that has to be worked for and it must be intentional. As we're called to live in unity with one another, that we really have to seek and more importantly, we have to want unity. Because if we don't want to be unified, there are a million <coughs> and one reasons to, to not be unified. We can find those. Uh, it's like finding a straw of hay in, a, in the hay pile, right? You know, instead of finding the needle in the hay, it's like finding the hay in the hay. Yeah, we can find plenty of that and plenty of reasons for us not to live unified. So the understanding, um, and so the word today, somebody asked me what I was preaching on today, and it helps you be turning on, Jason. And um, we're at Romans 14, page 69 of your manual, and it's called allowance. And somebody said, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on allowance. So, oh, you're going to talk about tithing today. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not that kind of allowance. All right, that's not what we're talking about. And so probably I need to explain uh, what this is, what this concept, so that you understand what we're trying to talk about today. Um, I, I first of all, I want to point out that the 3D Disciples Manual, the manual that we now are working through, was really a collaborative effort in development. I kind of started out with the, with the skeleton, you know, the bare bones of it. I had lots of voices who played a role in that. One of those voices was uh, I gave it to the elder board for him to look over the whole thing and, and say, like, where are some lessons, where are some thoughts of discipleship that, that we've missed and that you think is really important for us to put in? And this lesson on allowance was actually one of the ones the elders were like, we really need to think about this. All right. And so this comes from them. And we, uh, we researched it, put it in. And, and so we just kind of wanted you to understand what we're talking about. There's some really interesting buzzwords, catchwords in society today. Um, and so I want to tell you what I'm talking about by telling you what I'm not talking about. So like tolerance is, is a really important word today that we need to be, we need to tolerate one another. And the way I define tolerance is when you're annoyed by something or someone or something, right? But you put up with it anyway, you tolerate it, right? Like that really gets on my nerves, but, but I'm going to put up with it. Uh, you know, but it's not, but it's still going to unnerve me. Uh, Another word that's really popular today and is growing in popularity is to be affirming or to affirm people. This means the complete approval uh, of what anybody's doing, often regardless of your conviction. Like, so you might be taught, you may not like that, that might go against your conviction, but the expectation is you give complete and hearty approval to it no matter what because that's somebody else's choice. And when you just affirm, you can, you can just, yeah, you can do that, it's good, that's good for you, and, and, and go for it. What I'm talking about and what we're talking about today is allowance. That is giving others time and space uh, and opportunity to work things out for themselves. 
even if they make wrong conclusions, that, that we got to give others some space and some time and some opportunity to kind of figure out what it is to be a Christian, right? And, and they may make some wrong conclusions along the way. They may do some things that we disagree with, um, but ultimately what we're doing when we give somebody allowance is we're trusting that the Spirit is working on them, right? And so, like, sometimes people need the time, the opportunity, and the space to work with the Spirit and kind of figure out how they're going to do this thing we call Christianity, how they're going to live their life as a disciple. And I really think the key to allowance is, is from a verse we read last week uh, when we were talking about what it is to love. I really think this, the love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, that love that's within the church body itself, particularly verse 7, is, is really the key to to giving people this, this space and this time and this opportunity to, to work with the Spirit and figure things out. And that verse goes, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's probably the scriptural definition of what I mean by allowance. Like, like someone's struggling, something, somebody's doing something that you don't approve of, but you, you're going to bear that. You're like, I can handle that. You know, I don't, I don't have to go toe-to-toe with them. I don't have to go out and first thing, it's my life mission to correct them. I, I, can, I can handle being with people who are different than me. I can handle the people who don't agree with everything I agree with and I don't agree with everything they agree with. I can be in their presence. I can love them and want the best for them. I, I can... Give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, believe all things. Like, you know, I, I believe that in their heart they really love Christ and they just need some time and the Spirit's going to work on them and, and, and I'm just going to believe the, the best about them. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to hope that, that if I'm right, then the Lord will confirm that. And if I'm wrong, I'll be corrected. I'm going to hope that the Lord will work in them and they'll continue to grow and, and, that, we're, and that above all, we're going to love one another and we're going to be unified and I'm going to endure as long as it takes for the unity of Christ. That, that the unity of the body is more important than me being right or being cle- uh, known as right or, or correcting others or whatever. And so this kind of allowance is, the, is that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so let's talk about this passage. Starting off in, in Romans 14, verse 1, it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. It's going to go ahead and explain the difference in, in what's going on in the first century church there. And the first thing I think we can really take from this, this passage is that unity does not require uniformity. Right? That we can be different. We can have different opinions we can have different convictions. We can have different practices. We can land in different places on those ultimately important questions like how long a skirt should be, right? Or is it okay to wear jeans to church or not? You know, these, these things that, that are, are ultra important, that we can land in different places on those and it'd be okay, right? By the way, we knew it was cold. I knew the weather had changed. My barometer told me this morning that weather is definitely changing because Matt Beinhauer has on long pants. <laughs> so I, the fall is officially here now. 
And so, but we don't all have to be the same. But so many churches function in this. They, they, they want everybody in their place to be of the exact same. When they say same mind, they mean it down to everything. And, and the one thing that this passage should assure us of is unity can be achieved without uniformity. And I really believe in my heart that one of the, one of the strengths of our particular congregation is the diversity of a lot of, a lot of these things. Um, that, that we, as I like to say, um, we are not vanilla. We're a little bit more rocky road, you know, a little bit of everything, even some nuts, you know. Uh, and, and I think that's one of our great strengths because that's what I see uh, around the throne of Christ. If you look at in Revelation, it talks about people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, right? Every theology probably, every dress code, every other thing around the throne worshiping God. Right, And so, so I would submit to you that what we often struggle with is it's easier for disciples. In some, way, in some way, it's easier for us as disciples to handle persecution than it is to embrace diversity. We would rather be persecuted for our faith than have to get along with people that don't do things the same way we do them. That's, that's a bigger challenge, right? Uh, and, and we make it a bigger deal than dealing with actually suffering for Christ. We would probably welcome that. We like, we'd embrace that, right? I'm suffering for Christ. I don't want to put up with that guy. I, I think this is a challenge that we must face in our day. And as I said, I would, uh, I would suggest this to you. This is something that the elders particularly thought was really important for us because they're the ones who pointed out we need to understand this well. Moving on. Uh, in this passage, we see, first of all, that we need to give allowance to practices, like the things that people do. Verse 2 says, one person believes uh, that, that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables, right? And so it's talking about the practice of eating, right? There are people who, who ate meat, and there are people who didn't eat meat, and people who ate pork, and people who didn't eat pork, right? And there are people who were vegetarians. And, and they had done this stuff for religious reasons, and now they're all together, right? You know, can't you hear, you know, like Brother John and, and then some other Brother Bob, and they pass each other, and Bob's talking to John. And he's like, where are you coming from, Bob? And I'm like, I've been down at the market. They're running some good specials today, T-bones for like 11 cents a pound, right? You got, they got uh, ribeyes for 8 cents a pound, and bacon it's going cheap. And Bob and John's like, Whoa, and walks off because he's not a bacon eater, right? And, and, and the church is dividing over these, these, these practices uh, and, and from wherever they come from. I think it's interesting um, that we consider in this passage that the weaker brother is the one, is the one who's the more conservative one. <laughs> you know, he like, he eats, He's more disciplined. He only eats vegetables, and he's kind of called the weaker, the weaker one in this idea. And, and the idea is that there are lots of practices that people do, right? I would, I would submit to you there was a time when, if I remember my story correct, um, square dancing led to a lot of people ending up in First Baptist Church <laughs> because a whole group of square dancers met each other and invited each other to church. Uh, and, and built lifelong friendships because of their time on the square dancing floor, whatever that's called. Um, and there are people who probably 
think square dancing or any dancing is wrong. And these are practices that we've got to allow people to, to, to figure out and do and, and not make them uh, sources of disunity and, and breaking with one another. Uh, and so we've got to allow these practices. But it goes beyond just the, the practice of certain things. It goes on that we need to give allowance to convictions too. If you look in verse 5, uh, we, I'll read 3 through 5. We'll get down there so we follow the passages let no one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let the one who abstains not, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? If it is it is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse five. It talks about these convictions. One person esteems one day better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so there has to be some allowance of conviction. You know, we're talking about eating, and that may seem like something silly to us, uh, these practices. But, but we go on, and he's showing some diversity, some allowance in the idea of certain convictions. He's talking about the, this day or that day. They're probably talking about when the Sabbath was, was observed, what day was set aside to be the Lord's day, which we know is taught within scriptures. And so this is a, this is a, a little bit more hefty, a little bit more important conviction of the heart because this is something that's taught that we should have a day where we acknowledge and, and set aside the Lord. And so not just practices, but these, held, these deep held convictions. And it goes on, each one should be fully convinced in, in his own mind that, that we can have some very serious convictions and still need to give some people allowance on those things. It's interestingly enough today, the, the whole discussion of the Sabbath is another thing that churches divide on today. There, there are churches who would say, if you don't worship on the right day, they would question your actual salvation. And that, that there can be some, and I think the idea of conviction there uh, and having these deep held convictions are important. We have to understand that convictions are personally held beliefs. You know, like these, these things we hold very personally inside that we have to work on. And we have to work on those with the Holy Spirit. But the thing I know, at least from my own self, is convictions can even change over time. Uh, as you grow, as you mature, as you understand God better, as you study the Word differently, uh, as you face new encounters in life, your convictions aren't always set in stone. And so sometimes they, they change a little bit slower than practices do, but they can change. And so sometimes, again, we need that space and that opportunity and the allowance for people to kind of work out their faith with fear and trembling, as the Bible tells us. The other part of this passage that I think really is the heart of what we're talking about it's really the heart of this passage is about not casting judgment on other people. And what I think we have to do is we have to exercise a humility of theology. Um, theology is our study of God, our belief of God, what, what we uh, believe and hold to. Everybody is a theologian. Everybody has their own theology. Uh, a lot of them will look similar. A lot of them will look differently. And one of the things that I, I, I've come to believe is that we need to exercise some degree of humility in our theology. There's a lot of people who hold their theology 
with what I would call a degree of arrogance or a degree of pride because they've got it figured out. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it. And they're ultimately convinced they're absolutely right. And then once you get to the place where you believe your theology is absolutely right, then it's your duty to inform the world. The problem that I experienced was this is a seminary mindset. We go to seminary to learn theology. The, the one class that I dreaded taking the most was my theology classes um, because there are three, three massive classes called systematic theology. And, and I, and I kind of put them off and put them off and put them off. One of my favorite classes that I took while I was at seminary was systematic theology. And so I have this real love-hate with theology. I, I love studying it and thinking about it, but I, but I struggle when I think it's, when I don't hold my theology, when I hold it as absolute, without some humility, without ever entertaining the idea, I could be wrong. And, and that's what I mean by the humility of our theology, because it's the study of God. That's what theology is. Now think about that for a second. Here I am, a finite creature, studying the infinite, creator of all things, and I expect myself to figure all that out and have an answer for everything he does and every reason he does it and how he does it. And, and aren't we behind the eight ball, so to speak? Aren't we already at the disadvantage when we even go, I'm going to study God? You know, that's just silly. And so if we don't recognize who we are as the creature and that we're studying the creator and, and say, here's what I believe, here's why I believe it, but I might be wrong. Because God is bigger than me. You know, and, and I can do all I can to study him. I can devote every moment of every day of the rest of my life or forever and study him, study him, study him, and never get to understand him completely. No matter, uh, even in eternity, that God is going to be bigger than us even in eternity. When we get to see him face to face, we're going to know him a whole lot better, but there's still going to be a whole lot we don't understand. Because we will never be God. And that's the only way you're going to understand God is as you become him. And so he will always be greater and more than us. And so we need to hold our beliefs with some humility. Here's what I believe. Here's why I believe it. This is important to me, but I might be wrong. And so what I have developed and what I would encourage you to develop is... Um, it is a three-tier system, like, like, like number one things, like I have to believe this. Number two things, these are things that are really important to me. And then there's number three things like, yeah, here's what I do, but I won't bat an eye about that. And it's really realizing who we're talking about. Verse four is where, where I'm talking about this from. Who are you to criticize another household slave? Before his own Lord, he stands and falls, uh, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It's like, who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? We've got to realize that people stand before the Lord themselves. And when we criticize or we judge what they're doing as wrong or right, we're stepping in the role of their master. It's their master's duty to tell them what to do. It's their master's duty to to guide them. It's the Holy Spirit's work to work in them. 
not ours. And when we go too hard, when we judge and pass judgment and go about trying to make everybody be like us, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. Like, hey, I got this figured out. Let me tell you how to do it right and take the place of the Spirit. So we need to exercise humility in our theology. This three-tiered system, I'll explain a little bit more, but I think that's really the idea of how I function and I'm able to do this in some kind of way. It goes on in verses 11 and 12 to tell us to focus on our own personal accountability to God. Verses 11 and 12, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Ultimately, when it comes to to allowing and giving allowance, we have to realize, hey, look, I got enough to do to take care of me. And ultimately, it's going to be me standing before the Lord answering for me. And it's going to be you standing before the Lord answering for you. And I don't need to put myself in that place. Like when I, when I, I need to allow just, I got enough to do to focus on myself, right? I need to worry about my own accountability to God. And if I have a conviction, if I have a practice, if I have a theology and a belief, I need to make sure I'm living out that conviction, living out that practice and living out that theology. If I spend enough time doing those things, I don't have to get too worried about everybody else's theology, convictions and practices and fixing theirs. Because i got enough of my own to deal with. But I'm afraid what we want sometimes, and this is really the part of it, is we want to be right, and we want others to know we're right. And we're interested in people, we're interested in being affirmed by others. You know, we like to hear, oh man, that's so good. That's so right. I, I, I see your wisdom, right? And we want the affirmation of other people in our, in our practice and in our convictions and in our theology. And we lose sight of the one that really matters is that God says, well done. You got that figured out. You did that and you lived up to it and I taught you that and you, you really tried to do that. Well done, servant of mine. And so focusing on our own personal accountability to God is important. Here's where it really gets tough, though. Verses 13 through 19. I'm going to read those. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block of hindrance in the way of a brother. I know that I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. If, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, You are no longer walking in love. But by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So you do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is accept whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and through the mutual upbuilding of one another. And so this whole idea that the Bible instructs us in these these instances to consider other people's conviction before their own. 
You see what he's saying? He's like, look, you, you believe one thing, but if you practice, if you put into action what you're convinced of, you're going to cause harm to one of your brothers. You're going to cause him to stumble. You're going to cause him pain. And you need to be aware of that before you exercise your own convictions. You need to understand the convictions of those who you do. Make them more important. Pursue peace. Pursue love. Walk in love by putting them above yourself. Considering other people's conviction is really, really difficult and understanding. But, it, but the end of that is peace and the mutual building up of one another. That's the kind of interesting part. The, uh, there we go. Now, when we consider others' convictions before our own, it leads to the unity that we desire. It, it, we find love and we find peace and we find unity. It's about the kingdom, right? And not my own personal rights or my own personal convictions. And that's what we're told to pursue. And so give people that space to figure it out. Maybe they'll come to where you're at. But for now, love them where they're at is really probably the, the way to practice that. To walk in love. And when we do that, it builds up everybody. The, the really interesting thing is we benefit when we pursue peace and love with others. We gain as much as they do. And it may require some sacrifice, some self-denial, uh, even the, the substanti- you know, giving up our own convictions or, or putting others' convictions before our own. It, contin- it concludes, this passage concludes with, in verse 20 through 23, if you want to follow along, I don't have this on the slides. Uh, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make, any, make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he eating it is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so I want to kind of close up today with looking at the, okay, can you put me at the difficulties, please? Slide towards the end. There we go. This allowance is tough. You know, not to, to live in unity, but not in uniformity does have some challenges. And I want to talk about three of those and, and maybe give some ideas about how to practice and live with these difficulties as we intentionally seek uh, to give each other space so that we can live in unity. The first one is, where's the line? Where do we draw the line, right? There, there, there has to be a line somewhere, and indeed there is, right? And this is, this is really one of the big difficulties, and this is why I encourage people to build your own three-tier system, right? Tier one is, is things that, that you just cannot compromise on. I think the way you decide what's in tier one is you ask this question, will this change somebody's eternity? Will this, be the, will this be the difference in them being in heaven and being in hell? If you're convinced that, that, that whatever it is you're considering it will determine whether they go to heaven or hell, right? If they listen to songs that have 120 beats a minute or, they list, or, or less, you know, if that's going to be the dividing line between heaven and hell, then make that a tier one thing. Uh, if you're not sure salvation depends on what music you listen to, that doesn't belong in level one. So things like, 
the inerrancy of the scriptures would be one for me. The existence of the Trinity, the identity of Christ as the Messiah, right? Uh, that salvation comes by faith through grace in what Jesus did on the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the, may, maybe the, the, the um, virgin birth. You know, those things I just can't compromise on. Those are tier one. They determine people's, the identity of Christ, their salvation. Tier two are really important things that you might find that are really dear to your heart, you know, uh, mode of baptism. Uh, I, I don't know what those are. Uh, you know, where, how you read the Bible, whatever, but things that are just really, really, really important to you. Uh, communion, uh, how you do communion, when you do communion, those might be really strongly held beliefs, but it's not going to really determine whether somebody goes to heaven or hell, right? And then there's tier three things, right? Oh, you don't eat bacon. Okay. You know, <laughs> or you think it's okay to wear whatever, or you don't think it's okay to wear whatever. The preacher should always be in a three-piece suit or, 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 or whatever those things are. That, that, is that one? So that's one of Randy's. We can't wait for him to preach again. We'll see him in his suit. So. But those are tier three things, right? Like, that's really my preference. That really would make me happy. That really uh, means something to me. But I realize that probably most of the world never even thinks about it. And I can live with that. And so having that tier system. And what this really causes us is to really think about our faith. And, and, and that helps us know how, where the line is drawn. Now the problem is people put stuff all over the place. And people have their own convictions about that. And they make things tier one that, that I will, don't make tier one. But again, we're trying to give people allowance to do that. But it at least helps us understand where the line is drawn. Because that is one of the difficulties in when, uh, where, where, the, where we can't allow things to happen. Then the question is, well, what about admonishment? Doesn't the Bible teach us to admonish one another? Doesn't it teach us to, to look out for one another? And we've talked about that. It's certainly part of our role of looking out for one another. And I really think the key here, and we got to understand that admonishment is a direct confrontation. Where you go to someone, I see you have sin in your life, and I have been led by the Spirit to confront you about that. Hopefully out of love, or it should be out of love. It should be with the intention of restoration for their good, you know, and you're taking that chance. And that's what admonishment is. But the, and that preaching is the broadcasting of truth, right? So we should always be preaching, broadcasting the truth, being the watchman in this age, telling the truth about God, spreading the gospel. We should always be preaching. But admonishment is when we confront somebody. And I, and I think the rule for here uh, is, is it your brother? Because that's how it says, if you see your brother sinning, go to him and correct them. And so is it someone, when we admonish, it needs to be somebody we have a standing relationship with. Someone who we know is seeking after following God, and we really care about them. Because it's funny, when we, when we try to admonish people who aren't our brothers, when we try to directly correct those who aren't our brother, who we have no relationship with, it's, bad. it's hard enough to correct your brother. It's almost impossible to correct somebody who's not your brother. Uh, and I experience this. People actually come to me at times for advice, 
right? They, they have some kind of spiritual problem. They have some kind of interpersonal problem. And so they come and they're, they're wanting to hear what the Bible says. They want to hear, you know, help me understand. And, and, and to my, my, my very best, I do that. In a lot of cases, I think, I think I've got it pretty close to what, what would be honoring to God. And a lot of times they go and do something completely different. And so people who ask for advice often don't take it. So what do you expect of people who aren't asking for the advice in the first place and you give it to them? Well, they're certainly not going to take it. And so admonishment really is within the church, within the brother-to-brother kind of circumstance. And uh, so that's where that comes in. And then the third difficulty is when and how to separate. So am I saying there's never a time to separate ourselves from others? Is there never a time? Well, no, I think there probably are times. When to, when to come to that time and how to do it are, are very, very important ideas. And, and the way, the answer I give to that is uh, use the divorce rule. In the New Testament, Jesus says that he allows for divorce in only one case, when there's marital unfaithfulness. And I, and I would say that if we would say, the only time I will separate from other believers is when they're not being faithful to the word of God, when they're not being faithful to God himself, when there's unfaithfulness, what, what would be the same as, as, you know, giving to divorce ourselves is like when people aren't teaching the truth of who God is, aren't teaching the truth of his word, then it's probably time to separate there might be some other cases. I think if we use that rule, uh, 90% of the time, uh, we would be in a lot better shape. Because remember what we're called to do, right? To deny ourselves, to forgive all things, to, to live in unity with others, to love one another sacrificially, to believe all things, bear all things, hope all things, endure all things. I mean, if we start putting some of those practices in, the separation thing is going to take care of a lot of that, right? Or that's going to take care of a lot of the separation that we so quickly and eagerly run to. And so that, that separation should be the, the last option. When I, you know, I, I have, and it really can only be on tier one, things about the truth of God and his word but too often it's over something else I can tell you of one time one experience I had and, and I'd like to brag on the person who did it that felt like the Lord had called them to separate themselves from me from our church or or, or whatever and, and so they, they came to me they explained their tier one conviction like this this is my conviction and, and it, it's, it's, it's a tier one thing. This is, this is very, very, very important to me. And they explained that to me. And, they, and then they said this. They said, but I believe you're the called man of this church. You're my pastor until I separate. If you tell me I can't go, I will not go. And I was able to, I was able to hear, to understand, and say, go. If you really believe this, and they went and joined another church, and they served well in that church, and it was a good thing. One time in almost 20 years of being a pastor that someone separated, and I felt like it was the most godly, most biblical, most, most God-honoring way to do that. that. That we had a conversation. I was able to bless 
that, that conversation, bless that person. They could go on and serve the body. We weren't lo- the body, the kingdom wasn't losing anybody, right? Uh, and they were served better in another place. And we could work through that and see that. And I was, I have hope <laughs> because I've experienced it once. But in my opinion, that was the most Christian, the most biblical way because the Bible tells us unity is so important that above all things that love is primary, right? That we must be deniers of self, that we must be lovers of others, that we must be forgivers if we hope to be forgiven, that we must live in unity. Practicing these things in a world of diversity is challenging, but that's what we're called to. And that is what Paul is in instructing and encouraging the first century to continue to do because that's what the the world had no answer for how can they all these crazy different believing people all be together as one and as the scripture we read last week it said prove you're my disciples because you love one another Heavenly father god it is well with our soul and Lord, when it's well with our soul, then we, then we, can, we have the capability and the ability to be patient with people, to give them the allowance, to not ever make everything an argument, to not make everything a, I'm right, you're wrong, but to go, God, you're all we need, and you're enough. And at the end of the day, I'm probably wrong on some things, and you're probably wrong on some things, and so let's just be gracious, and let's be kind, let's be loving as we're working together to draw closer and closer to what it looks like it means to be faithful to God, uh, to be a reflection of who God is as we're working together to get there. It's a work in progress. We're all, we're all sinners. Uh, but we're all been made holy. And so let us, let us be patient with one another. Help us to be kind with one another. Help us to encourage one another. Uh, help us to, to believe the best in one another. And, and to say at the end of the day, uh, I, am grow, I am drawing closer to Christ with my brother, with my sister, because we're walking this walk together. And we differ in some things, but it's okay because we serve an almighty king and almighty Lord who sits on the throne. I don't sit on the throne. God, you sit on the throne. And so help us to be humble enough to go, you got it all figured out. We don't. And so let us work together in unity as we're drawing closer to being image bearers of Christ, Lord. And it's in uh, Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen.